Well, my name is Teresa Willard-Hughes, and I want to thank each of you for taking the time to listen to our first podcast. This is a podcast series that will be conducted weekly, conducted over a year. The goal of this podcast is to talk about six words, six words in communities that I come from, the people that look like me, we never discuss and never out loud. Those words are rape, childhood sexual violence, incest, and silence. And the ultimate two, betrayal and shame. We never talk out loud about this. This is going to be a platform for people who look like me, have a chance not only to hear the honest truth about what's going on, how these six words have destroyed our communities, have left us with the number of children are in foster care, the number of people are incarcerated, what are the rates of those who have been victimized are now incarcerated. It talks about the fact that all the family secrets that we're never supposed to talk about, we're going to talk about them. And most importantly, we're going to ask you, the public, to do something unheard of. Each week when we do a podcast, we're going to have on our website, strongpowerfulandvictorious.com, thesacrificialchild.com, a series of five survey questions. We'd ask you to respond to them. Why am I asking for this? Because we don't have any data about us. Our issues are different than other communities. Our issues around sexual violence, we have to add all about our race into it. We have to add culture into it. We have to have our religion into it. How each of those impact our lives long term. Childhood sexual violence, rape, and incest are not about me. They're not about the individual who's been violated. Because we hold these secrets and how we are silenced by them affects not only ourselves, our families, our communities, and can impact up to three generations in the future. Allow me to introduce myself. As I said, my name is Teresa Willard Hughes. I entered this world in 1948 as a sacrificial child. You know what I'm talking about. You may not use the term. I was that child that nobody wanted in the family. Everybody wanted to forget that I existed, but here I be. My Aunt Dale referred to me as the illicit byproduct of an unholy reliance that everybody wanted to forget, especially her, because the circumstances of my birth really were troubling to her. Aunt Dale is what we used to call barren. Now we have a better name for it, so that she was infertile. But back in those days, being a barren woman was a sin, especially if you had a husband, my uncle, who she married and loved and adored and constantly referred to herself as Mrs. Edward Haddon or Ed's wife, that she was outscrewing anything that moved and producing babies. But my existence was more troubling for her. Those babies were outside the house. She didn't have to look at them. My father just happens to be married to Aunt Dell. At 26, he and my 14-year-old mother, mother went into a transactional agreement. She wanted a coat. He wanted to screw a 14-year-old. Made sense to those two. So there they were, screwing left and right. She got the coat, and I was the unwanted bonus package. And here I am. According to my grandmother, when I asked her why in the hell didn't they shoot my father when they found this out, Grandma pointed out the fact that I was here. There was nothing they could do. They couldn't send me back. So we had to tolerate you. Nothing more unappealing than being told by your own grandmother, you're barely tolerated. 
Apparently, I was supposed to sit in some corner, suck my thumb, and just be silent. I failed to get that memo. So I talked. I did everything I wanted to do. And they hated me as I grew older because they could not control me. Hell, they couldn't even control my hair. In order to get my hair to even semi-work, I was constantly set up and looking at the French braids long before they were fashionable. It was the best that they could do for me. Everything that was about me was we could tolerate and what's the best that we could do by you. Not for you, but by you. The two great gifts. One, I knew my grandfather loved me. Granted may have loved me, but he didn't have the power or the strength to protect me. The other was Effie, my 11-inch gray crocheted outfit with a matching white and pink dress and, and a hat sewn to her head. Effie was my voice when I had no voice. Effie was my general when she told me to go out and do what I needed to do. Today, if I tell a therapist that I had an 11-inch elephant who told me, talked to me, led me through my childhood, they look at me half that I'm half as crazy. They think, hmm, somebody should have given that child some medication a long time ago. The reality was Effie was my conscious, smart enough or too dumb enough not to understand that I had to hear her voice. It was her voice that got me through everything that I dealt. If I had used medication as a small child, it would have numbed her voice. By numbing her, I would not have been able to survive. I owe my life to an 11-inch elephant. Third grade, I took an IQ test, and I tested high enough that I got an opportunity to be invited to be in a gifted school program for fourth to sixth graders. This was my opening gateway to change. My grandmother wanted me not to be in the class. She thought it was something absolutely crazy. And as time went on, I never heard the end of how my teacher was some type of communist trying to subvert little Negro girls to thinking they, little Negro girls that I am and some of the other classmates, had the idea that we could go to college, not only go to college, but to a white college. Grandma wasn't having any of it. For once, my grandfather stood up for her and said, no, she's going to stay in that class. My world changed because I was in that class, because of that one opportunity. I got a chance to be exposed to a world greater than the mean-spirited little world of the Willard clan. I went on field trips. I read books. I found out that there was a world so much greater than the small, mean-spirited world that I lived in. I saw people. I saw and interacted with people outside of my race. We were a class of mixed races long before integration was a subject. We went on field trips. Imagine I got a chance to go to San Francisco. I was able to travel. I did things that I never would have been able to do. And then one of the things that I learned very early was this magical term called college. Never heard of college before. Didn't even know what the hell it meant. But Mrs. Foley said that I and everybody else in my class were the best and the brightest and the smartest thing that ever existed. And we could go to college. College would transport me out of the mean-spirited world. College would give me a house of my own and a happy family. 
I didn't even need Effie to figure out, I'm going that place. I just told Effie, and she said, yep, we're going. That was the end of that conversation. My demented ways, Grandma did what all good Christian women would do for a Pentecostal. She called in the members of the church, the Mother's Auxiliary. And so once a week for the next two and a half years, I would have to sit in a circle with all these big-chested Negro women. I mean big-chested. Breasts look like damn torpedoes, all either talking in tongue, mumbling in prayer, or sometimes the Holy Ghost would get a hold of them, and they would be praying for my little demented soul. Apparently, Grandma hadn't told them the real truth of what my dementia was, but there they were trying to help me out. After all, I was Mother Willis' little granddaughter. I, on the other hand, would be sitting there trying to figure out what my math problems were that I had at school, what was the base seven math scores, what you know, book I had just finished reading, and all along keep into one concept, I'm going to college. Once the mothers found out that that was what my dementia was, instead of saying, let's come back to prayer circle, these old ladies started saying, congratulations, Terry. We're proud of you. Girl, you go to college. You go to one of them white girl colleges. I was set. Now Grandma's pissed. So now she calls in my mother. Remember, this is a woman who has had nothing to do with me. This is the same woman who had the nerve one time to ask me, do I spell Teresa with an H or an E? My mother didn't name me. My grandfather did. So they came in with a big idea. At 14, unable to control demented little me, who had grand ideas of going to college and having a real life and escaping these people, I was to be sent to live with my Uncle Ed and Aunt Gal. I knew these people. I feared Uncle Ed because everyone feared that son of a gun. He was just a tyrant. He was what we call in the family HNIC, the head Negro in charge. Nothing moved, nothing was done without his permission. And I was going to live with him. My parting comment from Grandma and dear old my mother was, he knows how to take care of people like you. You watch yourself. He's going to handle you. Here's a little side note. Nobody bothered to warn me that dear old Uncle Ed, I come to find out later, is my, who is my father. That little part wasn't told to me. The biggest part they left out is they knew he was a pedophile. They didn't call him a pedophile back in those days, but they knew he was a pervert. We do know certain facts of life. He raped his 11-year-old sister when he was not quite 16. He raped a 13-year-old girl as a going-away gift before he went off to World War II. The man came back from World War II, raped his 14-year-old sister, and then turned around and had sex with my mother at 14. They did not threaten him, if you touch this girl, your ass is in trouble. They did not warn me that this could possibly happen. They sent me packing a 14-year-old girl to live with a known predator. Within three months of my arrival, he raped me for the first time. My rape did not occur in the ghetto, didn't occur in a barrio, didn't occur in a rural small town in America. It happened in the suburbs, in a ranch-style house with three bedrooms and two and a half baths, matching furniture in the living room with a bad shag rug. But like all good Negroes of that day, everything was plastic sealed and runners, plastic runners on the floor. Our kitchen, where it occurred, was moderate of its day, a hot point stove and range and matching turquoise. 
My father raped me. He violated me. He stole everything I had. He took it away from me that day. And when I limped into my bedroom crying and sobbing after this fat bastard climbed off of me and left me there as if I was used toilet paper, I lay on my bed not knowing what to do. Leave it to Daryl General Effie. She told me politely to get my ass up off that bed. Don't you clean up. Don't you comb your hair. Don't you do anything. And you walk in that kitchen while they're sitting there and you sit down and act like nothing happened. But at 14 and under the commands of General Effie, I marched my little ass into that kitchen, hair had all on in, bruises all over my face, and I sat down at that dinner table. It went silent. Unbeknownst to either one of those two loathsome people, General Effie and I had declared war. And this was the war at 14 I decided I was going to win at all costs. I was not going to allow him to beat. That was not a possibility. For the next three and a half years, this man tortured me. Absolutely tortured me. If he wasn't screaming at me and calling me a cut, his favorite name for me. If he wasn't making me try to flinch if he hadn't touched me. He raped me at least once a week. Think about math-wise. Three and a half years, once a week, 52 weeks in a year, that bastard raped me 150-plus times. While my Aunt Dale lay in the bed where she could clearly hear what was going on, and she never said a word. Oh, trust me, I hated him. But I hated her worse because she was supposed to protect me. She chose him over me. When I finally confronted her and said, why in the hell aren't you taking care of me and protecting me? She looked at me and said, hmm, you think I was going to give up my marriage, 26 years of marriage for the likes of you, my house, my cars? No. So here comes the question that I ask all of you. And there's so many of us who know the answer to this. People say to us, why don't you tell someone? Well, we do. Do you people hear us? And if you do hear us, are you going to do anything about it? In 1963, I was a Negro child. Black folks didn't even have the right to vote. Hell, we weren't even black back then. Who in the hell was going to believe me over my father, who happened to be a correctional officer at Chino State Prison? I had no voice. I was powerless. He had status. I was nothing. But I waged war against his ass. And I, despite anything that happened to me, I put a smile on my face every day. I went to school. I kept my grades up. I was going to college. I was going to leave his sad ass behind. What saved me? What gave me that power? Remember, these were the early days of the Civil Rights Movement. And every day on TV, I would see kids that looked like me. They were my age, my color, and they were waging their own battles. They were being watered holes. They were having dogs put upon them. They were fighting. My feeling is I'm living in California. I don't have to worry about integration. I understood them. I was going to fight. People at that time talked about Martin Luther King if he was the greatest thing since Swiss cheese. I respected him. Do not get me wrong. But that whole nonviolent stuff, I wasn't having any part of it. I was living in a household with a crazy-ass man. Nonviolence and turning my cheek, I ain't doing that stuff. I was a true Malcolm X. By any means possible, I was going to beat these people. And I did.
made it. My dreams came true. I got into college. Oh my God, what a feeling. It was the first time I remember living. I laughed all the time. Everything was freaking funny. I ate popcorn. I even had pizza. I thought it was a part of the intelligentsia because I watched Black Orpheus and Dr. Savago. I love college. Everything about it. I didn't know a damn thing about what you're supposed to do there. It's just that I was there. I didn't understand majors. Didn't understand anything. I had made it. I had escaped. My dreams had come true. I had won that war. I would constantly get calls from my aunt and uncle. You need to come home. It's like, a few people. I ain't coming home. I didn't escape. Finally, I get a call from my grandmother who informs me in her authoritarian voice. They're coming, she and my grandfather, and my ass was to be there to see them. Stop being ungrateful and get your ass there. We agreed on the date, and I showed up. There was a lot of tension. There was no chitty-chatty, oh, happy to see you stuff. I happened to be there. They were there. And within an hour, it seems like, there needed to be a grocery store run. Grandma, Granddad, my Aunt Dale pile in the car and leave me with this predatory bastard by myself. I don't remember how long it took before I found myself knocked to the floor, damn near unconscious, being pounded, being beaten, being kicked. And then this bastard raped me. He yelled and screamed that you cannot escape me. Who the F do you think you are? And I don't remember how I left. I just remember I got in my car, battered once again and bruised. Everything that I thought that I had achieved, it was gone in an instant. It was gone. I went back to school and pretended everything was okay. I went back on autopilot. Four months later, I realized I'm pregnant. What the hell am I supposed to do now? I called Grandma and told her, can I come home? Told her what happened, and she said to me, you made your bed, you lie in it. The only alternative I had was to call my aunt and uncle, say that I'm pregnant, and could I come home? Oh, that was the greatest news possible. They welcomed me with open arms. Now, this is a sign you people are crazy. They not only welcomed me with open arms, they now have me there. I needed their insurance because I needed to make sure my baby was safe. I loved my unborn child, but I also loved it more than anything. I knew I had to protect him against these predators. What ended up happening is I finally get through all of this, and I watch them. They're like decorating the nursery, like I'm not there. They're like naming the baby's name, like I'm not there. Apparently, I was a surrogate long before that term surrogate came about and was fashionable. These people actually believed that I was going to give them my baby to raise, that after they had beat me, called me a cunt, slapped me around, raped me, and she remained silent, I was willingly going to give them my child? Hell frigging no. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But I knew I had to protect my child, and I did. For 53 years, I remained silent. I wouldn't talk about what happened to me. Why? For three simple reasons. One, I'm a mom. I'm a mother grizzly bear on steroids. 
There's a lot of things you could do, but you don't mess with my children. Two, I had to raise my son and his younger brother. My sons are now 52 and 35. There's a sense of shame. Oh my God, the shame, the shame, the shame. The shame that this happened to me. The shame of how people will look at me if they ever found out the truth about me. Because there is nothing about me that anyone could get an idea this happened to me. But let me tell you, there are millions of us out there who are like me. There are millions of young girls that have to make a decision on a dime that not only impacts their lives, but their impacts their children's life and future generations. We as women have been around and have been violated since the beginning of time. George W. Bush was out there talking about the weapon of mass discretion. Hey, baby, guess what? I knew what it was. And millions of us women know what it is. It is a weaponized penis hell-bent on destroying us. We have laws and policies in which we are blamed and we are shamed. I started talking because I kept listening to these policy marks and these legislators talking about restricting abortion laws. I'm not pro-life, pro pro-choice, although I served on a Planned Parenthood board for a number of years. I am pro-mom and pro-child. And if you're in the situation that I am, let me give you a little conversation. It ain't about pro-life. It ain't about pro-choice. It ain't about reproductive lives. And it sure in the hell ain't about the sanctity of life or six weeks embryo with a heartbeat. It ain't about the innocent unborn. It's about all those things that happen to us after we have the baby or prior to us having the baby. It's about how we raise our children. When was the last time that you were worried about the sanctity of life and my innocence of my unborn baby since you forgot about my innocent being raped? That you thought about funding a daycare program for unwed moms? When was the last time that you provided funding for good medical care for us? When was the last time the 31 states that have provisions in which if you rape a woman or a young girl and she becomes pregnant, that as long as you're not convicted of first-degree rape, you have parental rights. Don't talk to me about the sanctity of anything. Talk about what I need. Talk about protecting me. Talk about protecting my children. Talk about we are people. As I said, we're everywhere. Once again, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this first podcast. I apologize in advance for any stumbles and bumbles. This is new. This is a whole new process for me. After all, I am 71. This is a whole new idea. But I also want to thank you for thinking about that this is an important topic. Please share our information. Please share the website. Go to us and find us on strongpowerfulandvictorious.com, the sacrificialchildproject.com. Respond to the questionnaires that we have down at the bottom. There will only be five questions. And we want to hear your comments. For those of you who want to send a comment and ask us to talk about it on air, we will do so. If those of you who would like to be able to come on the podcast and have your voice heard, we'll be happy to do that. Again, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your respect. I look forward to talking to you in future dates. God bless you. Take care.